0: I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. And today, we're starting off with freight marketplaces, which have two different tech monopolies going in two different directions. One is Uber, which in the past like week has laid off over 6,000 people a very peculiar sequencing of this because they laid off, I think maybe 3,700 people, the first batch. And then now they're saying they're doing another 3,000. Why? Why would you split it up that way? Um, They did the first 3,700 right before they released earnings. So, you know, they clearly knew they were going to do a second layoff to me. And I don't know if that really helps the earnings. If you're laying off, if you're saying, oh, we're only laying off 3,700 in the earnings call rather than 6,700. If anything, I think the investors probably want you to fire more people uh, and save more money, especially if you're already losing money, which Uber is. So that doesn't make sense to me. A, B, why, Dara, you know, you're an experienced operator why would you split up the the news like this by basically seven or 10 days uh, difference? If anything, now, you know, you're doing crisis control and, you know, communication and all of the, all of the things you need to do after you do a huge layoff, Now you're going to do all those twice. And when you say, oh, this is the last one where you don't have to make more layoffs. Now, no one believes you. I don't know. I don't know why they did it this way. It seems uh, a little discombobulated. Not how I'd recommend do it. When you do a layoff, you do one layoff and you go deep. Deeper than you probably think you have to do so that you don't have to do one again. And everyone then can come back to work and say, okay, great. Now, these are the resources I have to work with. I don't need to worry about my job. Now, everyone is freaked out and they don't really know what's going to happen next. So... Not a good way to handle it. In all of this, Uber Freight uh, is apparently on the chopping block. Uber officially says, no, that's not the case. But they just laid off 6,700 people. Obviously, this thing is on the chopping block. It's not that big of a business in terms of Uber scale. $200 million in gross revenue in Q1. And so they lost $64 million, right? So they had $263 million in expenses, 199 million dollars of revenue. I don't know if they've really broken out is that 199 the same thing as GMV or are they assuming, you know, that that's the take rate? So if they're taking a 20% take rate, is that 199 million actually a billion dollars in throughput? I doubt it cuz that would mean that they've got a 4 billion roughly 3 or 4 billion GMV business in Uber Freight. I don't think they're that big. So I don't think this business is that big. I mean, still an eight hundred million dollar throughput business is a big business, but it's losing a lot of money. And again, you know the same mentality that DAR brought to ride sharing and and Uber Eats is you're either first or second or we're out. And I can tell you they're not first or second. You have a lot of competition from Transfix and Convoy, the two big freight marketplace startups. You you have The large incumbents have all of their own kind of digital marketplace initiatives, which you know, this is probably doing is they're kind of attacking the market from two different angles where the Uber Freight is kind of going bottom up. A lot of the digital marketplaces from the incumbents are not necessarily starting bottom up, Um, but you also have Amazon. At the same time now, Amazon is basically expanding their uh, freight marketplace brokerage operation across all of the United States so you just got a lot of headwinds on this and I think the challenge in general with freight marketplaces it's simple you don't have excess supply the thing that made uber really successful was the advent of uber X what most people don't remember is that uber actually started as this thing called uber black and it' tried to connect black cars with customers and that kind of did okay. But where they really got that hockey stick curve was from Uber X, which then said, hey, anyone that has a car can be a taxi driver. And so they created a whole new source of supply. So you need a lot of fragmented supply for any marketplace to be successful. And in freight with trucking, you actually have a lack of supply. You actually have a trucker shortage. There's a lot of estimates on this. The lowest estimates are like, at least a million truckers. We need an additional million truckers. That's why you've seen such a huge investment in autonomous driving technology, right? Because there's a huge trucker shortage. We got to move stuff with trucks. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. So, okay, let's get some autonomous technology for trucks. Great. That stuff isn't coming out in the next couple of years. So now we look at marketplaces, but. The marketplace doesn't have the same winner-take-all dynamic that you would expect with with most of these dominant platform models and and certainly these monopoly platform businesses. And the reason why is because supply is constrained in trucking. So how do you get a winner-take-all dynamic in a market like trucking where supply is constrained and constricted? Hmm. There is a strategy. And the strategy is one which is kind of like the nuclear option. It's not a pleasant option, but it will work. It's just a longer time horizon for it to work. And the answer is that you need to give away technology for free, classic platform strategy, what we call this like single user utility. It's what OpenTable did to just give a, 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 a table management tool to restaurants. It's um, turning, it's creating a three-sided marketplace. There are kind of so a lot of these digital these these marketplaces in freight. They have two users: the the consumer is the uh, shipper, the customer, and then the other the producer is the trucker. There's this other thing called a 3PL, a third-party logistics provider, a freight broker. It's the person in the middle. A lot of the you know Uber Freight, Transfix, these digital freight brokerage marketplaces their are two-sided marketplace, their whole kind of raison d'etre is to cut out the 3PL and the freight broker, right? Well, you have close to 20,000 uh, 3PL freight brokers in the United States. I think maybe half of them are roughly kind of like single person companies, you know, very small businesses, like one or a few people in the business. Heavy, what? Heavy fragmentation. So the play is simple. Whoever will enable the 3PLs with technology to better handle their demand with shippers or their demand or their supply with truckers to say, hey, I'm going to enable the thing that I kind of hated um, and was destined. I built this company to destroy the 3PLs. Well, now I'm going to embrace the 3PLs and enable them with technology. So it kind of goes against the, the core thesis of all of the uh, freight marketplace startups like a Transfix and a Convoy, and it certainly goes against the ethos of the incumbents, an XPO, a Ch Robinson, a JB Hunt, because these are their, in many times, their fiercest competitors are the small to mid-sized 3PLs. So now you're going to the CEO of one of the the big, uh, you know, 3PL companies and say, hey, give all this technology that you've been investing in for years and spending hundreds of millions of dollars on, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give that to all of your small and fierce competitors and they look at you like you're crazy. But you're not crazy because we're talking platform strategy, which is a very different kind of strategy. Eventually, what you do, once you have, say, five or 10,000 3PLs using your technology, and now the 3PLs, guess what, are bringing their customers and their truckers to your platform. Eventually, you squeeze them out And you drive their margin down, and eventually maybe you can kick them out altogether. I think this is a strategy you'll probably see Compass do in the real estate industry. Compass, if you're not familiar, was started with the intention of destroying the real estate broker, right? Who likes their real estate broker? No one. Everyone hates their real estate broker. Who wants to pay 3% to this person that does a job that you probably could have done anyway? Eh, it's like a necessary evil. No offense, real estate brokers, uh, but you know that people want to cut you out, and I think Compass wants to cut you out too. <laughs> and now Compass is a unicorn, multi-billion-dollar uh, technology company that has real estate brokers, but it was started with the intention of cutting out the real estate broker and connecting, you know, the the homeowner and and the renter, or or the homeowner and the seller and the buyer and the and the seller, right? I think eventually Compass will also get there and try to squeeze out the real estate brokers that they have used and given those brokers better technology, better tools, better data, and they've built a very successful business. I think eventually they want to cut out the brokers, just like eventually the strategy here with the freight marketplace is embrace the three-sided marketplace model today, cut out the 3PL in the future. We're actually seeing this happen in China couple of the largest freight trucking marketplaces in China have have started this to um, to, to let th- small mid-sized 3PLs use their tools. We did see Transfix do a partnership with DH uh, DHL, which has a 3PL you know freight brokerage business. So you are kind of seeing some of the tech startups toy with this model, but there's all kind of hardship right now in in the trucking space. so we'll see what this happens. But the way to get a winner-take-all dynamic in trucking is clear. You got to embrace a three-sided marketplace. Three-sided marketplaces suck. They're a lot harder to manage. They take more time. They're more expensive. None of the things that you want to hear about during a pandemic. But this is the path to get ultimate scale and to get the winner-take-all dynamic. You want to know who can do this? Oh, this company with a nice little smiley face on it called Amazon. And they know how to do this strategy to a T. So. I don't know. If you don't want to do it, watch. I bet you they'll do this. Um, so we'll see what happens in trucking. That'll be interesting. Facebook is being acquisitive. Zucky said, look, I actually think this pandemic is a great time for us to continue to invest in growth. He knocked Google subtly. He didn't list Google, but he said, you know, there's some other tech, mono-. he didn't say tech monopoly, but he said, you know, there's some other big tech giants that aren't continuing to invest in growth <clears throat> Google. And now Facebook is buying Giphy for four hundred million dollars, and and just you know bringing better functionality and gifts into their apps. Um, you know nothing too shocking about this, but I think it just goes to show you Google doesn't have to be slowing down as much as they are. Um, whereas you have the founder in Facebook saying let's soldier on. I don't want to lose any steam. Let's continue. And boom, $400 million later, you've got this Giphy acquisition. Uh, I think mentally, it's a really interesting thing to see how the tech giants are, are kind of going their own ways during this environment. Amazon trudging head, Facebook trudging head, both have their founders at the helm. Google, eh, a little bit more tepid. Management run company now. Interesting. Big loss for Disney. Big loss for Disney. I don't think I can really get across the significance of this loss. And I might even go a step further to say I have nothing against the new Bob Chappick, Uh came out of their parks division. And when Bob Iger stepped down, this is, you know, new Bob is, is now the current CEO of Disney. Um, Kevin Mayer, is the guy behind Disney plus is the guy is a deal guy who apparently was also kind of behind the scenes, pulling the strings to buy Marvel to buy. Oh, this thing called uh, Lucasfilm star Wars. And is the guy who was running point on putting Disney plus together, which is doing fantastically by the way. And it's probably one of the saving graces for Disney right now. Cause everything else in their empire is getting destroyed. Yet, Kevin was passed up for the CEO position in favor of New Bob. I don't think this is a a, a good decision. You want to know who's taken over Kevin's role? Rebecca Campbell. camp Campbell. Like the soup. She is going to replace him as the head of direct-to-consumer and international division, uh, which includes the streaming units. She's been there for 23 years. She previously served as the president of Disneyland Resort where she oversaw, you know, the theme parks. And uh, prior to that, she was the president of Walt Disney in Europe in charge of Disney's media, motion pictures, and all their other operations. And then before that, she was president of ABC and their media assets. And, you know, she comes out of TV and programming, and then she did parks. She's not a tech leader. No offense, Rebecca. You're not a tech visionary. Kevin was. And now he's the CEO of TikTok, baby little company you may have heard of, COO of ByteDance, the largest private tech company in the world. If you had said to Bob Iger two or three months ago, hey, you can either make Bob Chapic CEO and lose Kevin. They were trying to give Kevin more operational expertise. That was the knock against Kevin as they said, Hey, Kevin, you haven't really owned a P&L business. And now we're going to give you that responsibility because they gave new Bob the CEO role. And so they said, Hey, Kevin, we're going to give you more P&L responsibility. And then maybe you could be the next CEO. Kevin was like, screw that. I'm out of here. I'm going to go run TikTok. See ya. Oof. This is such a big loss. It was the wrong decision. It was the wrong decision. Bob Iger won't say it. If they had been able to keep Kevin, okay, fine. Could be the right decision. Bob Iger, you know, you can make that call. Your company. But losing Kevin and putting new Bob as CEO and Rebecca as head of Disney Plus, that's a fail. There's no other way to slice this. It is going to be extremely difficult to fill the shoes of Kevin. This is literally what Bob Iger kind of staked the end of his tenure on, was getting Disney Plus out there, getting it successful. And then he stepped down. You know, he's no longer CEO. <sighs> oh, boy. I don't know. You know, these, these types of executives don't grow on trees. Uh, we just saw AT&T get Jason Keelar, um, the founder of Hulu is now the head of Time Warner Media. Great hire. Great hire. This guy founded Hulu. He's tried to take down YouTube in the past. Doesn't like YouTube. He's tried to take on YouTube in the past. We will see if he embraces user-generated content. Because if he does, oh man, that is the sweet spot. That's how you can actually take down the tech monopolies. And now he's going to run Warner Media. I love this. We will see if Disney can make up ground. But again. Why? They must have just said, hey, we want to we wanna go with someone that understands the rest of the Disney business as opposed to putting Kevin at the helm of it. Yeah, we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on that. I don't think this was the right call. Bob Iger should have realized that Kevin was a flight risk. And I'm sure he didn't want to make a decision knowing that if he didn't give Kevin the role, then he's going to lose Kevin. And that could have set him more in his ways. I mean, he had to suspect that Kevin would leave if he didn't you know, get the CEO role. I just I I just wouldn't have made the same decision. I mean, it is clear that digital and streaming is the future of any media business, especially given the pandemic. And now you just lost your top lieutenant, top leader, who literally did all the content deals, who built the whole streaming service. He's gone. He's running TikTok now. Oh God. No bueno. Not not a pleasant couple of weeks for, for the Disney squad right now. Okay. The company that just continues to trudge forward, there's a new term out there. It's called a dark store. Thanks to Amazon, they've coined this word. They now have six of these. And the dark store is, I take a store that I guess wasn't dark. It was light because it had customers coming to it and buying stuff off the shelves. Now, no customers are coming, and we're turning the store into a fulfillment center. And that is what Amazon has just now done added a sixth store as a dark store. Um, it's one of these whole food stores here where they're saying, Hey, I don't need customers. I just need to fulfill online orders or delivery orders. I don't need customers coming in, especially with the pandemic. I don't even need to worry about that. I'll just do delivery, shut it down. It's amazing. I think you're going to start to see a lot more of these things, especially with user behaviors shifting. Say, you know what? I don't need to go to the grocery store anymore. It's actually way easier, more efficient. I'll pay a few bucks for the delivery person to get my food and bring it to me. Wonderful. Not to mention the health considerations where now I don't need to go into the store and expose myself to the corona. More dark stores to come. Guarantee it. This one, the sixth store is in Chicago. You know, I think this is going to continue. You're going to continue to see user behavior accelerate to digital. It's not going to, I mean, there will be a snapback, but this is a catalyst for more e-commerce and more digital ordering, right? It's not like, yes, I mean, you will have retail shopping come back but this is going to accelerate those curves those e-commerce curves every single one of them and clearly we're seeing it during the pandemic guess what this isn't this thing unfortunately isn't going to be gone in a few weeks it's going to be here for a while and dark stores are going to start to become a thing so we'll see more on that in closing from a food dynamic we have just released our food tech landscape anything and everything that you want to learn about the most promising food, marketplace, and, and and food tech startups, this is where you need to go. Uh, basically what we've done is we've broken it out into three rough buckets here. So you can see there are B2B marketplace startups, this is all for food, B2B SaaS solutions, and B2C marketplaces. So there's some examples here, B2B food marketplace, there's this company called Restaurant Cheetah. They just raised another 30-something million dollar round a few weeks ago. Congrats to them. Where they're helping to connect um, food distributors and, and food providers with business customers. So pre-pandemic, this would be a lot of restaurants or different food operators. Post-pandemic, a little bit of a different story. We actually see a lot of the B2B marketplaces trying to go B2C. That's the third category here are B2C marketplaces. Um, Good Eggs is one example that I think they're just in the San Francisco area, but that's on the right side of this graph. These are B2C food marketplaces that would help a restaurant do not like um, prepared order delivery, but you know there's a lot of restaurants that are now selling kind of like grocery items to their customers. There's a lot of um, smaller bodegas and kind of like grocery stores that want to enable a B2C food delivery to their customers. Not an Instacart. These are much smaller companies, more niche companies. Um, not an Instacart, not a Shipt. Those are obviously the two big, giant B2C food marketplace startups, uh, Unicorns. But there's a bunch of other companies in this report that can help provide solutions around getting food delivery, food items, and not necessarily the prepared food, the res- you know, the, the restaurant food that's ready to eat, but everything else directly to the consumer or directly to the business operator. Or you have these SaaS tools that can provide you the functionality, but maybe they don't have the marketplace dynamic. So if you are looking at saying, Hey, I want to own the marketplace opportunity. These SaaS tools could be another way to say, Oh, I'm going to get the functionality. And then I could build the marketplace around one of these companies. Um, so for traditional food incumbents, if you are a a B2B food distributor, B2B food manufacturer with, with some distribution heft. There's a lot of work going on in in kind of two key areas here. I touched on it on the last episode is how are you enabling distributors and other people in the food supply chain with e-commerce capabilities? Everyone needs e-commerce capabilities, um, especially around food and ingredients and grocery items. So how are you leveraging these companies And their technology and their infrastructure to help bring these e commerce solutions to market faster. That's bucket one. Bucket two is how are you leveraging the marketplace dynamic to expand the product catalog, source a wider variety of products, uh, bring more competitive pricing into your product catalog? That's the whole dynamic with having third party sellers uh, participating in these marketplaces. They're going to make them. More competitive on price, more pricing transparency, wider product catalog. And what that does is if that's plugging into an existing e-commerce site, it's going to just make that e-commerce site more compelling because you're going to have more products and better prices. That's a win. And if you have salespeople, then it's going to bring tools, marketplace sales tools to the salespeople. So that when the salesperson gets an order or gets an an inquiry from a customer, that salesperson now has the widest product catalog so they can fulfill more orders and they can have less orders that they have to go and kind of source additional products that maybe you don't have. And you're going to have the best prices on the stuff that those salespeople are quoting. So it should mean that you win more orders either through the e-commerce site um, or through the salesperson. The deeper dive landscape, you got to download it. We've got a 10 plus page report that goes very deep into um, all of these different startups and how you can think about the different buckets of uh, value that they bring and how those could integrate into capturing these these uh, bigger picture food marketplace, food platform opportunities. So uh, dig into that. The team really did a great job preparing all these materials and and doing some deep dives there. Uh, And this was actually put together by Tree Tran, the co-founder and former CEO of a company called Muntree, uh, which was a marketplace for prepared meal kits that he raised over $125 million for and built in a five or six year tenure there. Um, So Tree understands the food stuff probably better than anyone or just as well as anyone else out there. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.